Welcome to North Texas Cycling Monthly. This episode, episode 15, was recorded on the morning of Monday, October 26th, the year of our Lord, 2020. Really, uh, really, I think 2020 is more like the year of Beelzebub um, because 2020 has been straight trash. Um, but hey, we are still here. North Texas Cycling Monthly is still here, and our email address is still NorthTexasCycling at gmail.com. Remember, if you take the time to write us, we will take the time, I will take the time to read your email on the podcast. Okay, so um, when I left you back on October 3rd, I told you that I uh, was going to do German Fest. The Munster ride. Typically, Munster is the ride that kicks off the t-shirt ride season. Well, um, it was rescheduled for October 3rd. And uh, for the first time ever, I did the 100K ride at Munster. Now, I say I did the 100K, but by the time I get back to the car and I look down at my uh, uh, Garmin readings, I really only put in about 60 miles. So about two miles short of 100K, but I was not complaining. I was not disappointed because, uh, gosh, those final 10 miles or so were excruciating. Almost to the point, and if I'm being honest, I'm not sure I would do that ride again. Not because it was a bad ride, not because it um, didn't have good rest areas, not because... uh, I didn't enjoy myself, but primarily because, my goodness, it's an excruciating ride for someone like me who doesn't uh, uh, have the opportunity to train in a hilly part of Texas. Goodness, those those final 10 miles were pretty tough. Uh, but all in all, I would definitely do uh, the German Fest ride again. This was my second The ride started out, uh, again, with nice weather, uh, but we had that typical southerly breeze. October has been a fairly windy month. Uh, It seems like, at least for the past several weeks, we've had gusty south winds uh, on a daily basis. Uh, But anyway, uh, the the Munster ride started with uh, some pretty rough chip seal for, gosh, what seemed to be the first uh, 10 to 15 miles Uh, So you had that combined with a headwind, but uh, obviously the route eventually turns more westerly and then southern, and then then you have a more northerly turn, uh, which means that um, with that south wind, you have a tailwind for at least what the middle, what third, middle half of the ride. The hills were challenging. And of course, this was the first time I had done the 100K. So this is my first time on the route north of uh, St. Joe. And most of you know what I'm talking about. There's this big, long descent uh, just a few miles north of St. Joe as you get into the wine country there. And... (laughs) Suddenly, I find myself doing 45 plus miles per hour. I weigh 190 pounds. I'm riding a 17, 18 pound bicycle. 
And that is far and away the fastest I have ever gone on my bike. Uh, I think I topped out at 47 compared, uh, according to my Garmin. So that was uh, quite invigorating, if not a little bit on the scary side. Things are going well. And then again, if you've been on the route, you know that you get to about mile 49 or 50. Just when you think the worst of the hills are past you, you hit this one at, again, mile 49. That is just an excruciating climb. Um, I think a grade of what is, well, it's double digits and it's a long climb and it's a steep climb. And then, of course, this is just about the time that you start to turn into south towards Munster, which means, well, with the winds are out of the south, you got to have a headwind. So beginning with that really steep climb at uh, mile 50 or so, 49 or 50, that began an excruciating final 10 miles into Munster. And again, didn't hate the ride, didn't hate the rest areas, didn't hate the crowd and the company, but uh, just based on those past, uh, those final 10 or 12 miles, I'm not sure I would do the 100K again. Please, please don't let me um, change your mind on doing that. It's just that, uh, woof. Those final 10 miles took a lot out of me. Uh, but again, good time to be had at Munster. And uh, if you have not done the Munster ride, um, please do so. Definitely, definitely uh, a great ride. And of course, with your registration to uh, the Munster ride, you get, um, I believe, free entry into the German Fest. Uh, which is obviously the big uh, German heritage festival that takes place uh, at Heritage Hall near Munster. And uh, I believe you get a voucher for a couple of soft drinks, a couple beers, uh, which is cool. Uh, now, obviously, once we're uh, making some headway on pandemic and we've got vaccines and we've got uh, a little more comfort being next to uh, large groups of strangers and friends and company, then, uh, you know, obviously going to German fest will a little, little be a little less uh, stressful. Things are pretty tough in North Texas, especially Wichita County. We're getting to the point now where, um, our, our hospital beds are for the most part full, having a lot to do with, uh, COVID, it seems like uh, our numbers are in the triple digits countywide on a daily basis. And uh, again, things are getting tough. So again, I'll, I'll reemphasize what I stated in previous episodes, and that is there is some risk, at least a minimal risk in group rides that, um, you know, whatever is coming from your mouth and nose uh, will get into a slipstream and perhaps uh, could affect or impact riders near you or behind you uh, for several feet. So again, there is some risk involved. Now, I know that uh, people who have pre-existing conditions or serious health conditions are at a much greater risk of uh, serious effects from uh, COVID-19 and coronavirus there are there are many 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 examples of very healthy people in 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 tremendous fitness being impacted uh, by this disease. So, please be vigilant, be careful, be smart. 
uh, don't get yourself into some kind of very serious health situation uh, simply because you want to get in that next ride. Another quick note on German Fest and really more commentary on Strava than um, than specifically the German Fest ride, and that is um, over 60 miles, my elevation gain, as far as my Strava readout is concerned, was 2,900 feet. There are other people on Strava that I follow who also did the German Fest ride, did the same exact distance as I did, but had very different elevation uh, totals or readouts, um, ranging anywhere from um, you know, 2850 to, to uh, 3200, 3500 feet. Um, so I know, I mean, we are relying on digital technology that, that don't have, um, perhaps equally capable, equally calibrated, uh, sensors to, to give exact and reliable readings on elevation. So, um, it would be fascinating to learn a little bit more about, uh, which computers are best at determining more precise uh, elevation differences from ride to ride and from region to region? Um, is it possible that my uh, iPhone would be better at determining exact elevations versus, say, a Garmin computer or a Wahoo computer, something that you would attach to your to your handlebars. So um, that's that's something that's always kind of a, a, a continuing fascination with mine that uh, here I am, I would ride the exact same route as the rider next to me um, using what I believe to be pretty reliable uh, equipment and computers that you know all of us have spent a lot of money on, but yet we're getting very different numbers related to elevation. Another thing that comes to mind is if we're getting different numbers in elevation, how much faith can, for example, when when I said that I topped out at 47 plus miles per hour on that long descent north of St. Joe, how much faith can I play place in that number? You know, was it really more like 44 miles per hour? Was it really more like 50 miles per hour? All I know is it was pretty scary with my slightly overweight butt on a 17 pound bike uh, going somewhere on the order of 50 miles per hour on a Texas country road. The other t-shirt ride I did in October was uh, the Rotary Crazy Kicker down in Mineral Wells. That was on October 17th, Saturday morning. Uh, I had never done this ride before. I had heard about it. Obviously, uh, the other uh, other riders in my Strava group had uh, done this ride, mentioned that it was hilly. I did the 50-mile route at the Crazy Kicker in Mineral Wells. And boy, I have to say, I would definitely do this ride again. Uh, I really enjoyed the route. I really enjoyed the scenery. Um, it was not quite as consistently hilly as uh, Munster, but there are some challenging hills. Now, 
it's my understanding that um, the 100K, the 65-mile route, is probably going to be equal to Munster in the Challenging Hills. I did the 50-mile route, so by doing so, I bypassed some of the Challenging Hills in the first half of what have been the uh, the 65-mile ride. But um, again, a good quality tarmac, and I, I enjoyed the route, some nice scenery. I had never ridden my bike in Palo Duro, um, I'm sorry, Palo Pinto County, Texas before. I, you know, I uh, commuting back and forth and not commuting, but to traveling back and forth to Austin, I've been through Mineral Wells multiple, multiple times. I always find it to be a very charming uh, Texas town, but never ridden my bike in the area. Uh, and again, I would highly recommend the uh, crazy kicker. Now, uh, you get, if you're doing the 50 mile route, you get to about mile, let me check the strawberry in here. You get to about mile 34, 35, and that's when you find yourself climbing Cherry Pie Hill. And I have to say, uh, this is probably the toughest climb I have experienced yet in a Texas t-shirt ride. Uh, the only thing that comes close and uh, again, not in Texas, would be Mount Scott in Oklahoma. Uh, now, Mount Scott in Oklahoma is uh, all about 900 feet of climb over three miles. Now, obviously, Cherry Cherry Pie Hill, uh, it's about just over a mile. And I don't remember what my elevation gain was, but it was steep and it was long and it was rather taxing. But uh, I felt, you know, I felt a sense of accomplishment because I didn't stop. Uh, I there's no way I could get up Mount Scott without stopping, at least in my current state of fitness. Um, you know, maybe one day that will come. But yeah, Cherry Pie Hill at about uh, 35 miles into the 50 mile route, that is a booger. Um, but again, you you kind of get a sense of accomplishment. Uh, Fortunately, it wasn't terribly hot. It was windy, however. It was pretty clear on my drive into Mineral Wells from Wichita County. You know, a lot of a lot of people have uh, flags uh, on their country homes and their ranches. And every flag I passed indicated a very strong south wind. And you know, you know, if it's windy in the morning in Texas, it's probably going to be even windier into the midday and afternoon hours. And uh, fortunately, there's a very small portion of the 50-mile route at Mineral Wells that is south, or what in this case would be into a headwind. But it was probably the toughest headwind um, I've ever been in, and, you know, I think maybe we were clocking 11 miles per hour at best, um, trying to crouch down, trying to get as small, trying to get as arrow as possible. And that was a tough wind. Now, if most of that, if most of that route had been uh, north to south, um, gosh, it would have been, well, it would have been tough. It would have been tough. But yeah, I highly recommend the um, rotary crazy kicker. And again, uh, like Munster, I believe typically the crazy kicker is in the springtime, but uh, they did reschedule for October. And I'm glad I went 
uh, to mineral wells. Fun fact. This is a fun fact. Um, anytime I go to a place I don't know too much about, I always like to do a little bit of research. Uh, you know, the nerdy side of me wants to know more about the history and the geography and this, that, and the other. Uh, I found out, and this is according to the Mineral Wells Texas Wikipedia page, that um, back during the Black Sox scandal, this was back, I believe, in 1919, the um, the uh, Chicago White Sox were caught up in a scandal where they, I guess, they colluded to uh, lose some games to benefit gamblers. Uh, I according again, according to the Mineral Wells Wikipedia page, that the spring training for the White Sox that year was actually in Mineral Wells, Texas. So I thought that was a pretty fascinating uh, connection to history. And of course, if you've been to Mineral Wells, you're aware of the the Baker Hotel. I think a company is in the middle of a renovation. I don't know if it's a complete renovation of was just a massive massive hotel building. Of course, you know, much like Hot Springs, Arkansas, the attraction to Mineral Wells is the uh, apparent or perceived healing powers of the water coming from wells, natural wells and springs in uh, Mineral Wells. And this was a this was a big attraction. You know, if you had natural springs coming from uh, your city or town and uh, it was suggested that there were healing properties to this this naturally occurring water again, like hot springs, um, that that made your town a big destination. And Mineral Wells was just that uh, back during the uh, early 1900s, um, probably probably correlating or kind of parallel paralleling oil booms in North Texas at this time. The Baker Hotel is a very prominent uh, fixture of downtown Mineral Wells in kind of the same way that the Arlington Hotel uh, is in downtown Hot Springs, Arkansas. So, you know, both cities considered destinations for the healing properties of their water. Um, so, you know, if the Baker Hotel becomes a destination, that means that uh, that's going to add value and interest in nearby shops. And uh, gosh, it seems like every time I go uh, through hot, uh, not hot springs, but mineral wells, I see new uh, boutiques and shops uh, popping up. So uh, I'm excited to see what the future may hold uh, in Mineral Wells with the renovation of the huge Baker Hotel. It's, it's really great to see a, a relatively small Texas town uh, getting some much needed improvements and perhaps kind of being able to reconnect uh, with, a, with its rich history. So as I'm recording this podcast, again, it's October 26th. Uh, we have precipitation falling outside. It's in the mid thirties. Uh, it's mainly rain, some claps of thunder, probably some sleet as well. Um, we are under an ice storm warning. Um, so yeah, we're getting a taste of uh, December and January here in late October. Typically, typically weather like this doesn't show its face until, you know, maybe late November, early December. 
Um, it's you know, Mother Nature's way of saying, hey, there are going to be fewer and fewer opportunities to ride in comfortable weather um, and get a good ride in. The optimist in me says that even during our coldest months, that's going to be December through February, I feel like there's at least one day per week uh, where it's going to be comfortable enough, warm enough, um, assuming it's not terribly windy, to go out there and get a good ride in. I know that some people blow the dust off their trainers. I have never owned a trainer. I, I fear that I fear that I would quickly get bored with a trainer. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't uh, be very pessimistic about something I don't have any experience with. But again, I, I'm the kind of person who thinks that optimistically we'll have at least one good riding day per week, even during the coldest time of the year. And uh, I, I will supplement that with maybe some cross training in the gym just to kind of stay at my quote unquote fighting weight and um, try to remain healthy while I'm, you know, eating pizza and drinking beer. Did you uh, did you notice that I spent all the time last episode talking about um, the troubles I was having with my uh, <laughs> all the troubles I was having with my tire, especially my rear tire that prevented me from really getting in the number of miles I wanted to get in while I was out in New Mexico. What I failed to do was to encourage you to learn from my mistakes. Ideally, don't ever get caught in a situation where you don't have a saddlebag with stuff you benefit from. If I had only had a, a couple of fully charged CO2 cartridges, proper inflator, maybe even a maybe even a hand pump if you have room for it, if I had only had um, a properly packed saddlebag, I probably could have avoided a lot of the frustrations that I had to deal with that I chronicled on the previous episode. So for goodness sake, take advantage of the space that you have in your saddlebag, jersey pockets, and be prepared for problems. With the quality of bicycles, the quality of group sets, the quality of wheels, just the overall quality for this stuff that we're paying a lot of money for, you know, we can get we can get into a mindset that it's always going to be reliable. It's always going to work. There's never going to be a failure, but you have to be prepared. That's what that saddlebag is for, is for your preparation for a problem. So please learn from my mistakes. Don't go out there. Don't wander out several miles from home, several miles from your car, several miles from civilization without a properly packed saddlebag. And if you have any questions as to what that should be, you know, talk to your local shop. Talk to your friends who have been there. Talk to your uh, fellow cyclists who have been caught out in the middle without uh, a proper tool or a tube or whatever the case may be. I want to take just a moment to offer uh, well wishes and deepest 
deepest sympathy to Larry Hine. Uh, Larry was featured on episode four of North Texas Cycling Monthly. He had a, we had a tremendous interview on how it was a, actually about a year ago um, that we talked to Larry about proper maintenance and maybe some riding tips during cold weather. Larry lost his wife uh, to an extended illness, and it's not important that I go into the details. But if you're ever in Wichita Falls and you're ever at the bike stop, Larry Hine is a gem of a human being. It's funny, like the first three or four times that I went into a bike stop, I thought Larry was the boss because he was just He's just so outgoing, so full of uh, uh, helpful information, always willing to help. So very, um, Larry is so very friendly. Um, you know, he just comes up, says hi, and he'll just talk your ear off just because he's just, he's just so willing to help. Just so willing to help. Uh, and then I find out that Larry is actually not the boss. He's not the owner of the bike stop. He's... He's the main mechanic, um, and just again, just a just a wealth of information, and such a such a friendly and outgoing person, and an enthusiastic rider. He very enthusiastically leads a group rides and tries to encourage a new cyclists to join him for um, a coffee stop and then a, a good group ride on Saturday mornings. If you're ever in Wichita Falls, go into the bike stop and say hi to Larry. Chances are he'll say hi to you first. And uh, just it just um, it just kills me to think that he's having to endure uh, the loss of his wife uh, to whom he was married for decades. So deepest, sincerest uh, sympathy to Larry Hine and uh, all who love him and loved his wife. If you listen to episode one of North Texas Cycling Monthly, which uh, we uploaded uh, in the days leading up to Hotter Hell 100 2019, I make it clear that the reason I'm doing North Texas Cycling Monthly is because of two things. I love cycling and I love podcasts. And my primary motive for doing North Texas Cycling Monthly is no one else was doing it. I, I made it very clear in episode one that I'm not necessarily qualified to come to you as an expert in cycling, I am just simply an enthusiast. I'm a hobbyist. I try to get on my bike when I can. I'm not necessarily in the best physical shape. I'm not necessarily, <laughs> I'm not young. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not an athlete in the conventional sense of the term. I just love to ride bicycles and I love podcasts. So I thought maybe I would take uh, the final few minutes uh, here in this episode to tell you about some podcasts that I subscribe to uh, that perhaps uh, you might be interested in. Or if there are some uh, podcasts that you really like outside of North Texas Cycling Monthly, Hey, drop me a line at NorthTexasCycling at gmail.com. A few specific Texas podcasts include the only other cycling podcast that I know is specific to Texas, and that is Drop Bar Texas. I believe our the host for Drop Bar Texas is uh, in, I, 
I would assume, uh, suburban Houston. And it's a little more focused on the racing aspect of cycling, but they do uh, mention, you know, um, stuff that would be of interest, a ride calendar that would be of interest to us, uh, maybe last, less ambitious, less athletic cyclists uh, here in Texas. So I highly recommend Drop Bar Texas. Um, some more Texas-specific podcasts I listen to and would highly recommend, especially Wise About Texas. Wise About Texas, the host, I believe, is a, a district judge, again, based out of the Houston area, Ken Wise, hence wise about Texas. And his episodes run anywhere from maybe 12 to 20 minutes. And uh, it's they are deep dives into Texas history. And I think they are so fascinating. Um, I love the fact uh, there's two things I really like, and that's a very interesting, for the most part, nonfiction podcast. Also, short episodes. Uh, there are some episodes, I, or there are some podcasts I listen to where the episodes go on for an hour and a half and two hours, and I just don't have that much time. So, man, I love short, effective episodes of podcasts. If you're into true crime, there is one specific to Texas. It's the Gone Cold podcast, and uh, this is Texas-specific, mostly unsolved um, true crime cases, hence Gone Cold, as in cold case. So that's a cool one. I would recommend it as well. It's very well-researched, and they, they, they back up. Uh, their claims with all the proper sources and stuff like that. I also listened to the National Podcast of Texas, which I believe is a product of uh, Texas Monthly. Again, very well done. Some some good research done there. Let me see if there's anything else here specific to Texas. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, some some other ones I'm listening to. I'm listening to Mike Burbigley is working it out. I'm listening to The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, which is good, but also tends to run a little bit long. Um, One of the panel members of The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, that's, um, I believe her name is Kara Santa Maria. She is from, um, she's from North Texas. Uh, She's a very accomplished young uh, scientist. I believe she's from the Plano area. I also listen to... Roderick on the line. This is a podcast that features basically two middle-aged guys who are super, super witty and they're just funny and they have these kind of quasi, um, quasi intellectual conversations. And lately their conversations have just been about, you know, what's, what's happened in the past week in their house, like doing yard work or something like that. So Roderick, Roderick on the line is just really two guys uh, who are very witty and have great senses of humor. Just having a a weekly conversation that comes out once a week. Um, Let's see, what else am I listening to? I was listening to Mobituaries, but uh, the pandemic pretty much ruined that. I guess it would make sense for me to mention the podcast that got me hooked on podcasts. And it's strange how it came to be, because um, not only was I not into podcasts, but another thing I wasn't really into was true crime. Um, I was a member of a book club a few years back, and one of our books for one particular month was 
Michelle McNamara's account of who she deemed the Golden State Killer, and that book is entitled I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Uh, This is the book on which the recent HBO series uh, is based on. And again, I really didn't care about true crime until I read this book. We're talking about a man who did really, really bad things to dozens of Californians uh, back in the 70s and 80s. And then I I read the book knowing that uh, the suspect had recently been taken into custody, arrested, and then to find out that during these horrible, horrible acts, he was a law enforcement officer. My goodness, at least most of the acts. So I, I was just blown away uh, by this book. Again, not really giving a wit about um, true crime prior to reading this book. But after reading this book, I really got interested in true crime. So I tried to find other ways to, I don't know, get immersed in it. As a result, I found this podcast out of Australia called Case File. And man, I, I, it got me hooked on not only that podcast, but podcasts in general. Some people find the narrator's voice a little irritating, but I don't. I, I think the way that he delivers his narration, the way he delivers his stories is a kind of very, e- well, it's just very easy for me to stick with. Uh, he doesn't talk too quickly, so kind of right up my alley. So yeah, Case File is the podcast that really got me hooked on podcasts. So, you know, it's quite possible if it hadn't been for Case File, it's possible that um, North Texas Cycling Monthly would not be a thing. Now, this is not necessarily related to Texas, um, but the Times, the New York Times did a a multi-part series podcast called The Rabbit Hole. And my goodness, if you have not heard this podcast, check it out. It is a fascinating study on what the Internet is doing to users of it uh, in all manner of things, whether it be politics or self-esteem, stuff like that. So, my goodness, please check out The Rabbit Hole. It is what it says. I mean, I could not stop listening to this uh, podcast. Thank goodness um, they haven't had any recent uh, new episodes, but I believe it's, uh, I want to say it's an eight or nine part series, and it is out of this world and a little bit frightening. Well, nothing more to say on this episode of North Texas Cycling Monthly. If there's something you want to talk about, uh, someone you think we should interview, um, a particular subject that needs to come up, drop us a line at North Texas Cycling Monthly. And please rate and review the podcast. Uh, those five-star reviews, those five-star ratings are so very valuable so very valuable to content creators because with the five-star review that really makes uh, the podcast more visible and more interesting to prospective listeners don't keep it to yourself please tell your cycling friends about us and remember the world just looks better when you see it from a bicycle we'll see you down the road